Good morning and welcome to the East LJ Baptist Church live stream. We're so glad that you are joining, and I can say us today and mean more than me and Doug. It is great to have our worship team uh, back here with us this morning. Um, and so, welcome. We miss you, and we're looking forward to the day that we can uh, gather again uh, together. And we just pray that's not too long from now. We'll be uh, keeping you up to date on that as we go along. If you're joining us for the first time, we want you to know that here at East LJ Baptist Church, we have been captivated by Christ. In Jesus, we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of God, which is His grace and mercy to us, uh, to, to forgive and justify us through the life, death, and resurrection and ongoing reign of Jesus, our Lord. And because of what we've seen, because we've understood that truth, that we can be made right with God and that we can be made sons and daughters of God, we have been captivated by Jesus' beauty. And it's our prayer that through our time here together today, you will see and embrace the beauty of Christ and enjoy Him and, and, and find yourself captivated by Him, even as we are. Just one quick announcement this morning before we uh, enter into um, our, our time of worship with the Word and prayer and music today. Uh, this Wednesday at 6.30, we will have our Zoom See for Yourself Bible study. We take the text from the Sunday morning message and kind of dig deeper into that, let you see for yourself where today's message came from. So we'll be in Luke 8, uh, looking at verses 26 to 39, and we'll just kind of dig around a little more and try to learn even more than we talk about today from that passage. So if you'd like to join us uh, for the Zoom, see for yourself Bible study on Wednesday night, then just communicate with me, uh, send me a message, uh, fill out a connect card, um, and we will get you invited to that. I want to read uh, to begin with this morning from Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. These are the last two verses of our text for the morning. But I want to begin with these verses. This is really where we're going. This is really the, the, the main thrust of the message, though we're going to talk about uh, a lot of interesting things along the way today. In Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 38 and 39, it says that the man from whom the demons had gone... So the story this morning, uh, I grew up hearing it as the story of the deliverance of the demoniac. Uh, there's a demon-possessed man, and Jesus casts out the demons uh, from him. And so at the end of the story, it says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, that is Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And Luke writes, and he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You know, because we, if you know Christ today, because we know the gospel, because we know Christ personally, because we have had our sins forgiven and been declared fully righteous before holy God, we have something to tell. We can go throughout our city proclaiming how much Jesus 
has done for us. Because we have peace with God. We have hope for eternity through Jesus Christ. Uh, We have complete redemption and right standing with God. We have hope for eternity. We will be forever in the presence of our Savior. And we have the indwelling of His Spirit even today. We have plenty to tell our city there is so much that Jesus has done for us. But you know, there's so many in our world, in your world and in mine here and around the world that have yet to know the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. They've yet to be delivered from their sins, justified before holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we want to pray for your lost friends, neighbors, co-workers. But we also want to pray for an unreached people group in Pakistan, the Machi people. This is a Muslim people group. 2,578,000 of them with no evangelical witness among them. Missionaries, of course, cannot go into Pakistan, not openly and, and freely. And so the Machi, let's pray that God would penetrate their people group with the gospel, either from believers nearby or missionaries even covertly uh, getting to where they live to share Jesus with them. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. We will in this life and in all of eternity never plumb the depths of what you've done for us in Jesus. The beauty, the riches of your grace are infinite. And so God, thank you that we will spend our eternity going ever deeper into your glory and and seeing more and more of your beauty. And Father, it's our prayer that even as you've opened our eyes to see your beauty and captivated our hearts through Christ, that you would do that in the lives of our friends, neighbors, and coworkers, those specific people that are on our hearts right now. In our hearts, we call their name out to you, and we pray that you would work and save them. Open their hearts, even as you did ours. And God, for the Machi people in Pakistan, we pray that you would penetrate their culture with the gospel, that you would send a witness, that you would give courage to someone to even risk their lives going into a, a Muslim scenario and, and uh, sharing Jesus boldly and clearly. And Father, that there would be a church planted in and, and, and to grow there among the Machi. Father, today we pray for our school, faculty, staff, administration, and all of our students. They've been back one day, and they, can, they start their first full week this week. So, Father, we just pray that you go before them. We pray for your protection. We pray for your presence. We pray for strength. We pray for wisdom in all levels of decisions and, and all that goes on there. Father, we do thank you for this privilege that we have to be together even this way today. Thank you for uh, the worship team and their willingness to be here today and, 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 and just the fact that they're healthy and able to be here. Father, we pray for all those fighting uh, COVID-19 and we pray, God, for your special mercy and just tender mercy and help and healing there. Uh, Father, we pray for... Um, many that are uh, grieving in our community today. And we just pray that you would 
heal and, and comfort their hearts. Uh, Father, thank you um, how, how powerful it is to me this morning that uh, behind me is, is Megan, who's, who's grieving, uh, Lord, her mother's passing. And we just we praise you for the power of your spirit and the hope of eternity that we have in Christ. Lord, may we just now join our hearts as we worship. May you be exalted, Christ. Lord, may, may Jesus be lifted high. And even as he's lifted up, Lord, you, you said you'll draw all men to yourself as Christ is exalted. So that's our prayer today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're glad you uh, joined with us this morning and uh, join us as we sing How Great Is Our God. Trembles at his voice. 
Megan's going to lead us in broken vessels. It's written with amazing grace. Pieces broken. 
And Father, we praise you this morning for your amazing grace. Father, you have rescued broken people. Broken by sin and all of its many consequences. And Lord, you have mended us and made us whole all by your grace. God, your amazing grace. When Jesus came, it created a whole other category in the world. And Father, your grace is unlike anything that we've ever experienced. And God, thank you that you have shown grace and that now you use even jars of clay to take the most amazing message to other broken vessels that they might be made whole and healed. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to worship you in song. Thank you, Lord, that this morning we are going to see how you mended a broken, broken, devastated vessel and made him whole. God, when we are through here today, we pray that we would say to one another, Jesus is amazing. And that we would go out of here saying to those we meet, Jesus is amazing. I've got to tell you all that Jesus has done for me. That's my prayer for this time in your word now. And we just submit our hearts to you. Jesus, you're our teacher. Spirit of God, come open our hearts and minds. Change us. For our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he alone is worthy. We pray all this in his precious name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you guys to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and this morning we will be looking together at verses uh, 26 to 39. Luke 8, verses 26 to 39. But before we get to our text, C.S. Lewis wrote a great work uh, called The Screwtape Letters, but he also made some uh, comments on his just his understanding from Scripture about the devil and, and demons. And, and here's what he said. You can give the devil too much or too little attention. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that is, demons, are equally pleased with both errors, and they hail the materialist that says there's no such thing as a demon, and they hail the magician, that is, the one practicing the occult or uh, witchcraft and that kind of thing, the one who dives headlong into the demonic, and then Lewis says this, if you're around my age, which is just sort of middle 
in the middle somewhere. He makes this comment, and I think this is uh, helpful. The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. He then makes this observation. The more a man is in the devil's power, the less he would be aware of it on the principle that a man is still fairly sober as long as he knows he's drunk. Now, I know in church we're not supposed to talk about the fact that we know what that's talking about, right? But we do, right? If you know you're drunk, then you're still fairly sober, Lewis says. And the same applies spiritually. If you are aware of the devil's power in your life, then you would still be not so influenced by him, but when you become unaware, that's the problem. Lewis says, here's the way demons work. If devils exist, and they do, their first aim is to give you an anesthetic, to numb you. Listen to this. Only if that fails do you become aware of them. So the demon's goal is to give you an anesthetic, to numb you to spiritual realities, and only if that fails do you become aware of them. You know, it's rare that a demon shows himself in America today, right? It's rare for a demon to manifest himself as a demon and, and be like, I'm a demon in America. And here's the thing. It's because he doesn't have to. For you see, all of the possessions and toys and games and hobbies and sports and entertainment and, of course, money that numb the hearts of so many to sin, death, and God's eternal judgment is sufficient to keep folks from Jesus. And even Jesus' people, at times, from truly advancing and, and threatening the darkness of the enemy's kingdom with the light of the gospel. This subtle spiritual battle rages in the church in America. The enemy has deceived even us, Christian friend or professing believer, hearing these words today, into thinking that that he's really not bothering with us. But the deception in the lives of the American church is far deeper and more sinister than what is required, say, in a third world country. Satan and his demons have mastered the art of sinful distraction and, and, and of elevating idolatrous priorities to the point that many professing Christians are absolutely no threat at all to the darkness around us because we're distracted. Distracted by the stuff of life in America and the love of money. We worship other things very simply, even without realizing it, without ever showing themselves to be demons, the demons of, uh, that, that roam America have caused us to be and and away from Christ to be idolaters who worship something besides him and all the while we think we're a follower of Jesus Christ you know I look around our, our country today and I believe that the growing polarization in our society 
especially centering around politics, which is simply put about who has the power in our nation, and centering around racism and racial injustice, which is simply put pride and arrogance in our skin color, some way that we can make ourselves better than someone else. This polarization in politics and and racial issues is, is, is a clear evidence of a growing, more direct, I believe, demonic influence in the hearts and minds of the American people, hear me, and even and especially tragic amid the church of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther wrote a great hymn, one of my, probably my favorite hymn of all time, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Joe, it's not that the tune's all that great, though I kind of like it, but I'm kind of that old school way anyway. It's the words that are so strong and powerful. And, and in that song, Luther, Martin Luther talks so much about this spiritual warfare that we're going to be singing in Scripture today. He says there in that hymn, For still our ancient foe does seek to work us well. Make no mistake. You may not see demons, but they're at work. This is the point. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And another part of that hymn, it says, Though this world with devils filled, this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. That's what the demons are trying to do. They're trying to undo, undo us, those who follow Jesus, and those who have yet to make that decision. What's the point in all of that? The spiritual battle is real. And it's now. It's not going to be one day. It's today. That's why in Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? What's the big deal, Paul? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because they are there. They're there now. They're coming at you today. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Your real enemies today are not people. They are unseen spiritual demonic forces. In Revelation 12, verse 12, it says there, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. He doesn't ultimately win. We'll talk more about that later. But he's come to us in great wrath. Why? Because he don't have long. And he's going to do all the damage he can because it's his nature in the meantime. Verse 17 of Revelation 12 goes on to say, Then the dragon, uh, another word for a picture of Satan, then the dragon became furious with the woman, that is, um, humanity there, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. By the way, just trust me in the context. Don't trust me. Actually, go back and study it for yourself. But for this moment, till you can study it for yourself, trust me, that means the church. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold on to the testimony of Jesus. That would be us, right? The church. The dragon goes off to make war against the church. And so we come to Luke chapter 8. Our text for this morning is one of Scripture's more extreme and in-your-face kind of clear demonic 
Confrontations. The title of today's message is From Maniac to Missionary. From Maniac to Missionary. And here's the truth I want you to take hold of. If Jesus can powerfully save and transform a maniac into a missionary, then Tim, he can use you, he can use me to tell our world that the, all that the Lord has done for us. If Jesus can powerfully save and transform a maniac into a missionary, he can use you to tell your world all that the Lord has done for you. You know, I mentioned it earlier as we read at the beginning of the, of the service, uh, this, the couple verses from this passage. I grew up hearing this passage discussed, Luke 8, 26 to 39, also found in Mark 5 and Matthew 8, uh, as the deliverance from the, uh, of, the, of the demoniac. Uh, demoniac. Like, we don't, we, don't, we don't say that anymore, right, Joe? Like, that's, that's King James or something. We don't use the word demoniac anymore. That's a good word. I like it. Why? Because it puts demon and maniac together, and that's what it is. It's a demon-possessed maniac. What is a demoniac? It's a guy who's possessed by demons, and he's a maniac. A maniac is defined as a person exhibiting extreme symptoms of wild behavior, especially when violent and dangerous, and we are fixing to meet Mr. Demoniac. If Jesus can powerfully save and transform a maniac into a missionary, then he can use you to tell your world all that the Lord has done for you. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. So remember where we were. Last week we were in the middle of a storm. They thought they were going to die. Jesus is taking a nap because he knows they're not. He's in charge of the wind and the waves. Uh, he, he started the storm. He wake, woke up and said, okay, guys, where's your faith? Peace be still. He stopped the storm. So on a glassy sea, they arrive in the country of the Gerizines. You, you, you see a map on your screen at this point? Yeah, there it is. And uh, my wife helped me figure out how to circle something and draw a line on a PowerPoint slide. That was cool. I, I've never had done that. So there we go. So the black circle to your right, this is the east, east shore of, eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the, the city that you can't read the name of is the modern city of Kersey, K-U-R-S-I. And this would have been, we believe, the, the, the basic region where Jesus would have sailed to. The yellow line is, uh, starts up on the, the, the northwestern shore of Sea of Galilee around Capernaum and would have been roughly the, 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 the line of, of their overnight sailing uh, excursion, the little storm path that they went on uh, to get over to the region of the Gerizines. Um, we believe, by the way, that there's some debate about whether, whether that's actually the place or not. Um, if you go to Matthew, Matthew says Gadara, not, not Gerizines, but the Gadarenes. Um, so there's some, there's some up in the air there. We believe this mainly because of the topography, uh, the geography of the land, and the fact that the scriptures talk about the, the herd of swine in a minute we'll see running down a big bank and plunging into the ocean. So this is part of the reason we believe that, that this is the location. Bottom line, it's on what we know is it's on the eastern shore. They sailed across that way. So there you have it. Um, as we continue the text, so here's how this is going to go this morning. A little different. I'm going to tell you a point, and then I'm going to read the text. Okay, can we just kind of walk through it that way? So... I've got several points. Don't freak out. I've got 
a number of points, but we're going to just kind of move through most of them pretty quickly. Uh, First thing I want you to see in this text is we think about from maniac to missionaries. We think about the reality that if Jesus can powerfully save and transform a maniac into a missionary, he can use you to tell your world all that the Lord's done for you. First thing I want you to see, and we see it in verse 27, is that sin and demonic powers isolate and enslave. Now, what I'm going to do as we walk through this is, is try to be, be applying this to you. Chances are, if you're listening today and not a believer, you're still not going to be demon-possessed like the man we're going to meet here. That probably won't happen. It could happen. Now, for us as believers, the Spirit of God lives in us. It's not a possibility for us anymore. Praise Jesus. Amen? So I'm going to talk about sin and demonic powers because the powers of demons and the power of sin in your life have the same effects and a lot of the same characteristics, okay? So that's how we're going to talk about it. Number one, sin and demonic powers isolate and enslave. Verse 27 says, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes And he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When we look over to to Mark chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, here's what we read there. In verse 3 it says, he lived among the tombs. Now, Now, here's what I want you to get. This is a real man possessed by real evil spirits. It's a true and historical occurrence, okay? That's what I believe about this text. I believe demons are real. And I believe they really were possessing this man's person. I can't explain exactly how that works, but I believe it was true. But what an illustration of the way sin works in our lives. Scripture is replete with references to how sin enslaves, strips our dignity, isolates, and enchains us. Jesus would describe uh, the spiritually poor, those that, that were still in darkness, as naked and blind, right? So here this man is, naked among the tombs. Sin and demonic powers isolate and enslave. What did did the demon possession get this man? Did it it improve his social standing, his social relationships? No. He he got cast out to live in the cemetery. The only place he could live was in the cemetery. Because, I mean, nobody else wanted him in town. They'd run him out of town. He had isolated himself. The demons had had caused him even to just run around naked. I I mean, he was a maniac. As we're going to see in a minute, he was violent. But, But notice here, he couldn't do anything to help himself. Never once does he in this passage take any step toward Jesus asking for help. He's completely controlled and overcome by the demonic and sin so enslaves and enchains and isolates us. Scripture describes those of us who were uh, before, but for all of us who were uh, in sin before Christ, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're dead in sin. I used to be dead in sin before I came to, to know Jesus. Dead in sin. Let me just ask you, what did dead people do? Do they get up and walk around? Do they have any... Uh, can they raise themselves... They can't do anything because they're dead. So if if a dead person suddenly lives, a resurrection has to take place, right? So it is with sin. 
It's a slavery. It's a death. Sin and demonic powers isolate and enslave. Secondly, sin and demonic powers cause us to hurt others. The text goes on, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. Imagine it. They were chaining him up like an animal. But he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Sin and demonic powers cause us to hurt others. This man had fought off all attempts to to, to be tied down. I I, I just, I mean, kind of reading between the lines, I believe he had no doubt messed up some guys from town. I mean, he'd beat the fool out of them. I mean, that's just about the way I say it. I mean, if he's, if he's tearing chains apart, if he's, if he's busting through metal shackles, he's whipping me. I mean, he can handle several dudes at once, right? This guy's bad. I mean, he's a maniac. Sin does the same thing to our relationships. Because sin has a big old eye right in the middle of it, my selfishness and my ultimate allegiance to me, Joe, that means that you lose every single time. Because in sin, when I'm living there, life is about me. And I don't care what I do to you. I don't care how I hurt you when I'm living in sin and living for me and my desires and my wants and my pleasure. I will cut you to get what I want, right? It's true for all of us. It's true for the demoniac. Sin and demonic powers cause us to hurt others. But thirdly, notice in verse 5, sin and demonic powers make us self-destructive. Verse 5 says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always... And and by the way, I'm sorry. This is still in Mark 5. Sorry about that. Mark 5. We're still kind of reading through there. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, listen, and cutting himself with stones. This kind of self-mutilation has been going on for a long, long time. And in this occasion, on this occasion, it is demon-induced. Sin and demonic powers make us self-destructive. Not only do we hurt others, sin will destroy me. The whole time I'm living for my pleasure, my satisfactions, what I want, and don't care what I have to do to you to get it, I'm in the same moment hurting myself. Sinful habits, they'll kill you. Addictions, they'll kill you. If they don't kill you, they will hurt you bad. This is what's amazing. They never, they never make you more whole. Have you ever known an alcoholic or a drug addict and you look at their life 10 years down the road from when their addiction started and you can look at their life and assuming they're still living in their addiction and say, man, their life's so much better 10 years into this addiction. Sin doesn't work that way. Addictions don't work that way. Worshiping substances doesn't work that way. Causes the destruction of relationship with others, but it also causes self-destruction. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus tells us why it is this way. The thief, that Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
and all of the, all of the tools he brings with him, addictions, sinful habits, everything he, all, all the things he gets us tied up in, wants to get us tied up in, they're so that he can steal, kill, and destroy from us. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 puts the picture this way. Satan's not a thief like he was in John 10. In 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he's, he's a lion. And your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. What does he want to do? Seeking someone to devour. Have you ever watched a video of a lion tearing apart its prey? That's what Satan wants to do to you. And that's what his demons want to do and are doing in lives all across the world, but even all across America. Our enemy loves it when we commit ourselves to some sin. The enemy loves it when we say, I'm going to do this no matter what. I know it's wrong. I, I, know, I know what God said. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Our enemy loves it when we commit ourselves to some sin, only to find that it's like cutting ourselves. It's self-destructive. And down the road, we reap the consequences. We reap the awful results. We reap the fruit of sowing to sin and, and letting that awful weed grow up in our lives. You see, sin and demonic powers make us self-destructive. But fourthly, demons know who, who Jesus is. We learn right quick that demons know exactly who Jesus is. Verse 28 now. Okay, now we're back in Luke 8. Luke 8, verse 28. When he saw Jesus, this man possessed by demons, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. But was this the man speaking? Now, as we'll see in a minute, this, this, this was, this, this was the, the voice of the demons crying out to Jesus, acknowledging who he was. Demons know who Jesus is. Hear me. Demons know more about Jesus than many people in our culture, and sadly, at times, I'm afraid, even some people who profess to know Christ. In James 2.19, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. You know who God is, you know the gospel, you know who Jesus is. That's all great. Even the demons believe, James says, and shudder. But are the demons saved? This verse points out a demonic faith, and hear me. This is what scares me most for church members all across America and even at East L.J. Baptist Church this morning, is that you can know Jesus, you can know all about him, you can be able to recite and explain the gospel. The demons can. And they even tremble over what they know, but they are not children of the living God. They, like many professing believers, do not, even though they know a lot, they do not submit to the one they know so much about. But demons know exactly who Jesus is. What have you to do with me? Why have you come over here, Jesus? We're, we're, we're happy 
occupying the body of this maniac here in the tombs and wrecking his world. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? You are the Son of the living God. You are Jesus. You've come to save the world from sin. I beg you, do not torment me, which leads to the next point. Demons not only know who Jesus is, they know about the judgment to come. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29 says, Have you come here to torment us? We saw that in Luke. I beg you, do not torment me. But here in Matthew it says, Have you come to torment us? Listen, before the time. Matthew adds that, before the time. Not just have you come to torment us, but have you come to torment us before the time. Here's what they knew. There was a time coming when Jesus was going to torment them. They not only know who Jesus was, they knew of the judgment to come. Their judgment to come. Back in Luke 8, verse 29. I know this is getting really confusing. We're all over the place in the Gospels, and some of the same verses back to back are the same number. So stay with me. Luke 8, 29. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him and begged him not to command them And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. The demons know not only who Jesus is, but they know of coming judgment. Oh, Jesus, don't torment us now. Don't do it now. Don't torment us before the time. It's not time yet, Jesus. Don't torment us before the time. And notice here, this man was possessed of many demons. He said, what is your name? And they said, they said... And, and, and literally, in my mind, I hear this awful voice that sounds like thousands of voices all at one time saying, Legion. A Roman legion would be about 6,000 troops. If that's the reference here, then that's what Jesus, that's what the, the, these demons are telling Jesus. There's a whole bunch of us in him. Now, how does that work? I don't know how demon possession works exactly, but here's what I can tell you. In the New Testament, in Corinthians, Paul talks about how we can give the devil a foothold. I don't understand how demon possession works. I don't understand why it happens in some places and not others, other than what we looked at from Lewis a little bit earlier. He doesn't have to be so outright when he can be subtle in some places, the Western world in particular versus the Eastern world. But I know that we can give the devil a foothold. So, so I, so I, and, and, and I know that, that basically means, if we were to go to that passage and kind of exegete that more, I think what we'd find is that to give the devil a foothold is to open ourselves up to sin, to knowingly take steps away from Christ and his commands, to walk in our own ways and in the ways of the world and the ways of Satan, and, 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 and to to, to proactively move in that direction. So, so here's what I can tell you about this man. He had many, many, many times made the wrong decision in life. He has said no to God and yes to sin until it became not just sin, but 
actual demons saying, yes, come on in. And however you open the door of your heart to the demonic, he did that. And they came in in droves. Legion, he says, is my name. But notice, they know, that, they, they, they know of a future judgment to come. Why has Jesus come? 1 John 3, verse 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he's come. He's come to judge, in part, to, to judge Satan. In Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. God's judgment fell. Listen. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the abyss into which the demons are asking Jesus not to send them. They know a day is coming when he will. They know future judgment's coming. They know they'll be tormented, tormented even by the judgment of Christ. They know that they will be thrown into this place called the abyss where forever they will be tormented eternally. You see, the demons don't question the truthfulness of a coming final and eternal judgment against sin. And hear me, if you do today, it is the epitome of foolishness when we as men, women, boys and girls do question that reality. The demons know of coming and final judgment. But number six this morning, Jesus has power over demons. Look at verse 32. Now a large herd of pigs, remember they ask him, don't, don't send us into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs, by the way, that indicates where we are in Palestine and that we are on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is a Gentile region. Why? Because Jews don't raise pigs, right? They don't eat them. They don't raise them. They don't get around them. This is Gentile territory. We believe this man to be a Gentile. What compassion, by the way, before I forget to mention that. What compassion? You know, we run from people like this. We'll talk more about it in a minute, but, but what compassion? Not, not, only, not only a demoniac, a maniac, but a Gentile maniac. What compassion of the Savior? A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, legion, the demons, begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man whom the demon, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Jesus has power over demons. They didn't get to tell Jesus where they were going. They said, Jesus, don't send us in the abyss. Is there any way you could send us into those pigs right there? 
They had to get permission from Jesus to move. This is a glorious thing for you and I who follow Christ, who are his people, who are the body of Christ. Jesus has power over demons. I, I, I mean, thus far this morning, I mean, we might get a little antsy about this whole thing, right? This, is, this guy's a, this is a bad dude. I mean, there's 6,000 demons in this guy. And all of a sudden, you just begin to think about all the different things in the world, and you could just freak yourself out, right? But never forget, Jesus, your Savior, the one who lives in you by the Spirit of the living God, has power over demons. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead in victory over sin, death, and hell. And the Father exalted him, the Scripture says in Philippians 2, to his right hand and gave him the name above every name, every name, the name of every single demon that is. Jesus' name is higher. The name above every name, name above every name on heaven, on earth, under the earth, all of it, spirit world, everything. He reigns as sovereign Lord over Oh, Jesus has power over demons. And so he gave permission for them to leave the man and go into the, the hogs. And, 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 and this is where animal rights people go crazy with this story. And we got real trouble because the, the hog, whole herd of hogs, the demons drowned them. But here's, here's the bottom line. Here's the reality and the truth of the matter of, of, of the heart of Christ. Christ is more concerned. He doesn't hate pigs. He created pigs. He loves people. His heart is full of compassion for men, women, boys, and girls. And when he, sometimes unlike us, walk up on that, walked up on that man who was tormented by the devil and his demons... He didn't see somebody that, that, that ought to be put out of their misery. He saw a man that could be redeemed. When I was praying earlier, I, 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 it just hit me. That's a whole other category in human relationships, isn't it? Like grace creates a third option. You don't have to jump into the sin with the sinner, but you don't have to reject him either. You can give him grace. That's what God's done for us. And then the beautiful picture is when the townspeople come out to see what in the Sam Hill's going on out there by the coast. This guy that, I mean, they've seen this guy naked, remember? He looks like a normal guy. I mean, he's probably still got some scars. I don't know. Maybe Jesus made them all go away. I don't know. Remember he'd been cutting himself? I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about all that. But what I know is he's sitting still, clean, clothed, reasonable. That wild look in his eye, it's gone. He's not screaming. He's not cutting. He's, he's talking to Jesus in a normal tone of voice. And he looks at them just like a normal neighbor would look at another normal neighbor. Normal neighbor. Jesus has power over demons. He can, he can take a maniac and put him into his right mind. And you know, again, what a picture of our salvation, right? We weren't literally living in the tombs possessed of 6,000 demons, but when we were in sin, our life was a wreck, and he's restored us. He's made us whole. Seventhly, Many observe Jesus' power to save and heal and reject him. They see it and they still reject him. Verse 36, and those who had seen it 
told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country, the Gerizines, asked him to come and teach them and stay with them and, and, and love them and, and tell them all about why God sent him to them. Is that what they said? They asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. Now, I get the fear part. So, Jesus doesn't stay where he's not wanted. He got into the boat in return. Many observed Jesus' power to save and heal, and they reject him. They see what he can do, and they run him out of town. They push him out of their hearts. Romans 1, they suppress the truth of God that they know and hear in the gospel. A lot of reasons behind this particular scenario before us. Jesus wrecked part of their economy, right? I mean, it was a bunch of hogs when he allowed those demons to inhabit the hogs. Furthermore, the whole deal, I mean, I mean let's just can, we just, can we just be plain? The whole deal was just freaky, was it not? I mean, this is very uncomfortable. This is downright, if you had been there, scary. I mean, the guy was scary, but you knew about him. You knew the deal with him. It had always been that way. Long, many years had been that way. You knew where to avoid. But all of a sudden, his everything changes. He's made normal. And, and, and so... Everything is just out of the ordinary. And, and, and I can just hear these people talking, you know, Jesus, you know, we're not, we're not even sure what this is all about, but, but here's what we know. We just like the ordinary, simple life. Day in, day out, no big highs, no big lows. We just kind of want to live, just, you know, even keel. That's preferable. And, and so here's the deal. I don't, I don't know. I mean, all I know is in the last couple hours, you have absolutely rocked our region. We think it's best that you leave. And such is the fearful response, perhaps the arrogant response of so many to the gospel of Jesus. The gospel that says you stand before a holy God as a sinner who, are, who is justly condemned under his holy wrath. And you cannot help yourself at all. But there is good news. And the God under whose judgment you live and were born loves you and sent his son to die for you. He lived a perfect life in your place. He went to the cross and, and there he bore on that cross the, the fullness of the wrath of God against your sin in your place so that having died and, and buried for three days, when he rose again, he could give you victory. He could justify you. God could in justice justify sinners. He can make sinners right with God because Jesus was their substitute. He was their righteousness. He paid the price they owed holy God. And so now people like me and you can be called sons and daughters of the living God. Many observe Jesus' power to save and heal and reject him. They hear that message and say, you know what? God can't save me. They exalt their own sin above the grace of God. 
Or they just simply say, you know, this is just, I don't know, I'm comfortable where I'm at. Jesus, you need to leave. But the last thing I want you to see this morning from verses 38 and 39 that we read at the beginning of the service is this. Some embrace Jesus' healing and they give their lives to tell how much he has done to save them. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, Jesus, with Jesus. The man from whom the demons had gone, what did he want to do? He begged Jesus to let him stay with him. And isn't that your heart if you know Jesus today? Don't you want to be with him? Don't you just want to spend time with him? Don't you long for the day you see him face to face? But it wasn't time for that yet. Jesus sends him away saying, why? Why did he send him away? Because he had a job for him to do. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so it's real simple. Luke, Luke just records it so matter-of-factly here. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Some embrace Jesus' healing and give their lives to tell how much he has done to save them. If you know Jesus today, this is you. Because if this isn't you, then you don't know Jesus. You can't know Jesus and not go and tell how much he's done for you. Do you understand how that works? It's interesting here. Jesus commissions a Gentile maniac, former Gentile maniac, to be a missionary even before he commissions officially his disciples in Luke chapter 9. Isn't that amazing? From maniac to missionary. If Jesus can powerfully save and transform a maniac into a missionary, he can use me. He can use you to tell your world all that the Lord has done for you. John Calvin said, though we are not tortured by the devil as this man was, yet he holds us as his slaves till the Son of God delivers us from his tyranny. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wonder about. Broken vessels, Megan, we we just sang about it. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wonder about till he restores us to soundness of mind. It remains that in magnifying his grace, we testify our gratitude. Let me tell you something. If Jesus has saved you by his grace, you'll tell that story. It's that simple. You say, I've been in church all my life, Chad. I think I'm a Christian, but I've never told anybody about Jesus. Then you need to examine where you stand with God. You need to see if you have just been like the demons who know all about Jesus. They can, they can recite the gospel clearly and accurately, but their lives have never been changed. They have not submitted to him. But here's what I can tell you. If you're like the demoniac, if you're like the demon-possessed man, and Jesus has set you free, listen, you will go home You will go to work, you will go to school, you will go to the other side of the world, and you will tell all that Jesus has done for you. And then when you learn more that he's done for you, you'll tell that too. Not the half has been told of what he's done for us. We're just getting started learning, Joe, what he's done for us. But we've got more than we could spend the rest of our lives and all of eternity talking about in our hearts and minds about grace now. Hello? And yet we walk around in silence. 
as if he's done nothing. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, if we've forgotten what he's done, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What has he done for you? That's what he's done for you. 1 John 2, 13 tells us something else. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Don't you get the point of this message this morning? Jesus has power over demons. We have victory over the demonic. What that means in America is that you can say no to the distractions. You don't have to look no different than your neighbor who does not follow Jesus. Your schedule and your spending don't have to mirror those who love this world and love money. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have victory over that. In 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Listen, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus who lives in you will give you eyes to see those demonic distractions that cause you to be an idolater, an idol worshiper as you bow before things or certain pleasures or certain relationships or money itself. Power and position. Spirit of God will give you eyes to see and run from those things. And now, as his child, you are commissioned to be a missionary to your world. He set you free. He's transformed your life. And the great commission is for you. Go into all the world and make disciples Train followers of Jesus, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And know that I'll be with you, Jesus said, even till the very end of time. This is our commission. You see, if Jesus can powerfully save and transform a maniac into a missionary, he can use you to tell your world all that the Lord has done for you. Well, let me just ask you, how, how can we do that? How do we, how do we get that done? I, I mean, maybe, maybe you say, Chad, I, I, I buy it. I believe. I believe that if Jesus can do what he did for that demoniac, then he can, he can use me. But, but, but practically, tell me how to get from here to there. How, how do I get into the action? How do, we, how do I fight sin, wrestle against demonic powers, and live as bold missionary, a bold missionary in my world, telling everyone that I know all that Jesus has done for us? Well, Ephesians 6, 13 to 18 tells us, and we don't have time to unpack it. I'm just going to read it. Remember we read Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, where it said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against basically demonic forces? Here is the offensive response to that. Here's how we wrestle. Verse 13 of Ephesians 6, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit 
with all prayer and supplication. This text contains the armor of God that we're to clothe ourselves in and the offensive weapon we're to pick up, which is, in fact, the Word of the living God, the Scriptures, the Gospel in particular. If you boil these verses down, let me just, I'm not going to unpack all the pieces of the armor. If you boil it down, three things. We've got, we've got three weapons. Prayer, the Spirit's indwelling power, and the Word of God. Prayer, the Spirit's indwelling power, and the Word of God. And by the way, that'll get you through any battle. The victor. Prayer, the Spirit's indwelling power, and the Word of God, specifically the gospel, even as Paul describes it and breaks it down here in Ephesians 6. So you want to be powerfully used to tell your world all that the Lord's done for you? Then, 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 then latch on to those three weapons. Pray, always. Lean on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, even as you are deep into the Word of the living God, reading the, the, gospel, the Word of God regularly, preaching the gospel of Christ to yourself daily, reminding yourself of all that Jesus has done for you, fueling the fire of, of what you know He's done for you, how He's loved you, the grace He's shown you. And as you do that, let me tell you, you will go out like the demoniac in, your, in, his, in his hometown, and you will tell all that he has done for you. Martin Luther, in that hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Just listen to these words. A mighty fortress is our God. Does this not capture the spirit of this passage? A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man, capital M, on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word, one little word from Jesus. One little word on a day that's getting closer by the day will fail him. Like a great big old tree in the forest cut down, he, it'll take him down in a moment. A mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is your Savior. A sufficient strength is Jesus and is, is the gospel of Christ. Oh, yeah, see? It's beautiful. It's awesome. If Jesus can powerfully save and transform a maniac into a missionary, he can use you. He can use you. He can use you to tell your world, whatever that consists of, all that the Lord has done for you. By the way, as we close, does that not blow your mind? I was thinking about it earlier, and then I forgot to say it as, as we were kind of working through. But just stop and think about this a minute. The same day, best I can tell in the text, the same day Jesus turns this maniac into a man of sound mind, 
The same, listen to me, the same day he makes him a missionary. He doesn't say, now Mr. Demoniac, former demoniac, Mr. Now in your right mind, you need to spend a couple years in the church before you start going out and telling people what I've done for you. Like, you need to make sure you got it all right. You need, you, you need to make sure you got some deep theology. You, you know, you need, you need to take a Christian witness training. You need to go through evangelism explosion. You, you, need, you need to make sure that when you present it, you know, you know just exactly how to go down the, the, out, the, the, the witness and outline. That's not what he says. He said, man, I'd love to hang out with you, but you gotta, I got a job for you. You got to go home, like now. <laughs> as soon as you get there, you just need to go telling people what I did for you. I mean, here's the thing. It ain't complicated. I said we'll be plumbing the depths of the gospel for eternity, and we will. But here's the thing. If you know Jesus, if Jesus has saved you, then you, you know, just kind of southern colloquialism here, then you can explain that, can't you, Joe? You may not have it all down, but you can explain that. If he saved you, you can tell somebody. Let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful story. What a powerful illustration of what you have done for me. I thank you that though our sins, maybe not demons possessing us, but our sins, they are many. But I thank you that though our sins, they are many, your mercy is more. We praise you. Oh God, use me to tell my world all that you've done for me. And Father, I pray for someone today that may be listening who may in fact be demon oppressed. They may be right now under the influence of demonic forces. I thank you, Jesus, that you reign. And I pray that you would so move in their lives that they would be freed from that demonic oppression or even potentially somewhere in this world, possession. God, I pray that you would free them through the power of Christ and through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel into their lives, even as they've heard it in these moments. Father, I pray for your church. And I pray for myself first that, God, if there's a place where I allow the, the, the demons of Satan to influence me as a believer. They cannot possess me, but Lord, they can influence me and they cause me to be distracted by the things of this world. God, I pray you give me eyes to see and help me to turn away and not be sidelined and useless in the kingdom of God. Ungrateful for the mercy that I've been shown, but God, that I would be always telling all that Jesus had done for me. And Father, for my church family, all across Gilmer County today, those listening in other places, Father, how I pray that you would give us eyes to see where we are distracted by the things of this world. Whether we're bow where we are bowing down our hearts to something as if it were greater than Jesus himself. Where money or power or entertainment, or hobbies, or fun gets more attention and time and energy than Jesus from us. Spirit of God, pull us back. Give us repentance and fresh faith in Christ that we may obey him. For Jesus, you alone are worthy. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray that as the worship team leads us in one last song before we dismiss, that you would just allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart.
and allow the Spirit of God to apply this, this His Word to your heart as we sing. Let's worship together. We'll sing a couple verses of Jesus Paid It All. grace to us in Jesus. We just want to thank you for joining us for worship uh, live stream today. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time uh, and, and would just give us a couple of minutes of your time, there uh, below the, the viewing screen on, on, on the YouTube page, you'll find uh, a link to Connect Card. If you'll click on that and just fill that out, let us know who you are. Um, and, 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 and also there you'll be able to share prayer requests with us. You'll have the opportunity to, to let us know that you'd like to join an online Bible study. Um, and so even if you hadn't been visiting, if you're not new to us, you've been visiting with us for a while and you've not yet done that, if you want to get connected uh, to an online Bible st study, then please fill out that Connect card. I'll be in touch with you. Uh, if there's ways that we can pray for you, then please uh, fill out that section. Just tell us how we can pray for you and we'll, we'll be... Uh, It'd be our privilege to do that. So thank you again for joining us, and uh, we'll be back live stream uh, next Sunday. We will be discussing this week as leadership whether we'll be in person also, but for certain, we'll every Sunday from now on, we'll be live streaming. So uh, join us next Sunday at 11 o'clock.